Hello and welcome to another sold out edition of Switch It, the podcast they're saying has completely revolutionised the game while at the same time being not a great deal different from what went before. Cricket doesn't stand still and neither do we, except when we're sitting down to record. Anyway, well done if you're still managing to keep up. The 100 has landed and I'm afraid we're all a bit delirious. We've got balls coming out of our ears and the cutoff is looming. Oh yes, and then there's a, an England men's test series starting on Wednesday too. Joining me to try and make sense of it all are ESPN Cricket Info UK editor Andrew Miller and associate editor Matt Roller. Gents, you've got one strategic timeout apiece, so use them wisely. Um, <laughs> let's, let's dive straight into first impressions of the 100, uh, Miller. Cricket, by and large, um, seems to be still standing. It's been all right. <laughs> it's been fine. I mean, the, the, the cricket, the cricket has. Well, actually, I'll tell you what. The one thing that I don't, I have not been impressed by, has been the cricket. I, 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 I think the women's women's game has been very good. I think the women's the women's profile, the profile of the of the sport has been excellent. I found the men's matches broadly tedious. I think the pitches have been been pretty terrible. Um, I found the commentary a bit exhausting. Um, I just don't think it's been as good as it's been made out to be. I have. I've been actually quite impressed with the with the way that the the, the hype has lived has lived up to its own hype. To be honest, I, you know, there's been there's been a lot of noise around it in a in a good way for, for the first time ever, and that was always going to happen when when the cricket began. Uh, but you know, I, as we talked about previously, um, I thought the one thing that we really need to see was high scoring. We've had one game really, Superchargers match where. Liam Livingston went went nuts, and Harry Brooks scored scores a few runs, and all the rest of it. Um, that that worked well, but been too many games on slightly tired pitches, too much spin being involved, which is fine if you're a connoisseur. I've got no problem with with having low scoring dogfights, but that's not really what this competition was about, was it? You know, this competition was about finding a new audience, throwing everything that is spangly and brilliant about cricket at them, and I'm not sure. Low-scoring dogfights on turning decks is quite the the spectacle they have built it up to be. So I've enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's been good, but I just don't think it's been quite the spectacle that uh, perhaps the ECB wanted it to be performance-wise. Are you saying, Miller, that uh, Rolf van der Merwe and Mohamed Nabi rattling through them in order to make the cut-off is not what's going to bring in the uh, much-desired new audience? I mean, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I, 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 OK, I, I, I'm going to stop talking and let Matt speak at some stage. But I took my kids along the other day to the, the women's game at Lords uh, because, frankly, I bought into the hype. I thought, OK, they're selling this to families. Let's, let's give this a go. I'm all for it. Um, as it happened, the men's game was rained off. Uh, the women's game was, was fine, absolutely fine. Alice Capsey, glorious innings, amazing story. The kids were quite in, uh, engaged by the idea of a 16-year-old doing the business. But we couldn't, they couldn't actually see what was going on. You know, the, the nuance of playing a dinky reverse sweep and, and tucking the ball off the hip and, and running the ball through gaps and all the rest of it is, is advanced level when it comes to cricket. But basic level, if you're going to appeal to, to brand new audiences who just want to get excited about the game... You've got to see the ball flying to the stands, and we have not seen enough of that, largely because the pitches haven't been good enough. And that's that's my tuppence on on the subject for now. <laughs> well, uh, we will get into all that. Um, don't worry. Uh, that that I think we will uh, class as the audible equivalent of a shoulder shrug. Um, the hype is living up to the hype, though, uh, Matt. As far as the ECB are concerned, I guess that that's probably job done, isn't it? <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, my <laughs> my experience of of the hundred has been quite um, strange so far in a lot of ways. I've been to been to three live games, which were the uh, the first men's game at the Oval, um, which was obviously a standalone match, one of the only one of two non double header match days in the in the competition actually, um, which very much had the feel of a uh a sorry t20 blast night um you know boys coming in after work on the beers type thing with a, a admittedly a little bit of shiny new merchandise and a, a different shade of teal uh, or aquamarine on the home team's kit but um you know only really subtle differences um then i had a very surreal experience midweek in in cardiff um where you know in a way the uh these the welsh government restrictions which capped the crowd at i think just over three thousand in a in a fifteen thousand seater may actually have turned out to be quite a good result for cardiff because i think that was the the, the ecb's biggest worry in terms of a ground to sell tickets in um so the fact that they could sort of you know uh cover their own backs in a way and say it, the game was sold out even though you know there, there were <laughs> there weren't exactly mexican waves ringing, ringing around the stands or uh, loud chants, anything like that, and I think the the DJs fell somewhat flat. Um, uh, it, it it was at least a sort of you know um, they they had a pretty a pretty valid excuse as to why that was, rather than uh, you know no one in Wales is interested in cricket. Uh, and then last last night and sort of yesterday afternoon, I was at Laws, which I I thought was actually a really good game, and I I think uh, the the women's game. Uh, there were there were fifteen thousand in, and despite the fact that the game was actually, I think, arguably the worst of the women's comp so far, real sort of low scorer London spirit got all these freebies through wides um, early on from the Brave, and still only managed ninety three all out, and it, it was not a great spectacle. Again, quite a slow pitch, but I think in a way the um, the men's game served as quite possibly quite a nice counterpoint to um, what Miller said regarding pitches and low scorers. Um, in that that was a sort of, I, I think Southern Brave defended 145 um, off the last ball uh, and really sort of clawed their way back into it. But there really was, um, I think, th- th- the fact that there's been a lot of tight finishes because of the fact that, they, you know, they are just slightly more likely in a lower scoring game um, by, by the very nature of the dynamics of it. Um, there was that sort of tension building in the last few, I, I think it was about 25 balls when, when Mills came back and... Um, went for one run in his five balls you could feel the, the tension building and the crowd sort of buying into uh the scoreboard on the big screen the wind predictor came up a few times live in the ground to sort of loud oohs and ahs and all that sort of thing and um there are a few sort of you know really high quality moments of cricket specifically two from quinton de Kock, who's sort of one of the the last men standing in terms of the the world cast players overseas players who hasn't uh, played in the T20 Blast. He's come over partly because of that link with Mahela Jarwardner, uh, his head coach at Mumbai Indians. Um, and he he took an amazing catch and then uh, executed a, a pretty remarkable direct hit run out with whipping one glove off sort of Dhoni style um, at the end. And I think that that sort of, that tension and possibly, possibly says that while obviously I, I completely agree with Miller's point that it would be great to have a lot more, you know, 170 plays, 160 uh, type games where where people are belting the ball into the stands, and I think we probably saw saw that to an extent yesterday in the the men's game at Edgebaston, where uh, sort of Smead, Allen, Moeen, everyone who came in was just teeing off in that run chase. Um, I think that the one advantage of the low score is is that you do have that sort of uh, that tense ending that is potentially lacking when you have a, 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 a you know sometimes on a flat track someone will lose three wickets early on in the run chase, and it actually turns out to be a bit of a 
not much of a spectacle in the chase. Whereas, um, you know, it, another low scorer over the weekend, the Superchargers Invincibles men's game was, you know, a, a pretty pretty average spectacle for long parts of it, but ended up being a brilliant finish. And when Simpson smacked that winning six down the ground, I think uh, I think the home crowd sort of felt like they they got their entertainment out of it. Um, it's it's yeah, this format um, from the very start has, has felt like it's designed to create close finishes almost the the, the women's game uh, which uh, over the Vincibles won having been sort of 40 for four or something like that and you thought well there's no chance of getting this and, and then they put together a partnership in it and it um, all came down to the, the last few balls um, the the Sky presenters are, are clearly very pleased with the spectacle the ECB um, putting out regular um, updates on record breaking crowds and so on that they seem happy enough um, but Miller just to slip into an idiom from another sport are you saying that the 100 really had to hit it out of the park and it hasn't quite done so yet yeah, well, it depends It depends on what you're judging it by. If it's just a fact of getting people talking about cricket again, then I think it's doing a very good job of that. I, I think I think there is a there is a clear flaw with the with the, the broadcasting deal that's been done in that, you know, you've got your 10 games on BBC and they're spread out so much that I'm not sure there's enough chance to get a narrative around it for new people, new people who, who might float in and watch it on a Saturday afternoon and then have to wait another week to get another game. I, I don't think that's going to... Sell it's not it's not like you're watching watching I don't know the wall or whatever it is a Saturday night game show or maybe it is maybe that that's how they're trying to sell it, um, but I'm not convinced that's the way to to truly drag in this new audience. Certainly, you know, from the perspective of attack, attracting new people to the ground. Um, again, I'll, I'll talk from the experience I had of watching it um, at Lords. I I still maintain that cricket is an incredibly difficult sport to to sell to the uninitiated, no matter how many bells and whistles you throw it, which is why I'm, I'm obsessing about the sixes point. You know, if you if you are sat at backward square legs, say, and quite low to the ground, and you're looking across a wide expanse of greenery, and it's not obvious what's going on, it's not obvious. You know, you, you, you when you're behind the bowler's arm watching on telly, at least you've got the you've got the nuances, you've got the spin, you've got the swing, you've got the you've got everything in in your eye eye line. When you're not so, not watching it there. And you're not seeing the ball doing things like zipping over your head and bouncing off the stands. I'm not convinced that it's that much of a sell. The one thing I did think works from the new regulations, the countdown and the second innings, when you're counting down the score, I felt that really does help to help to balance the books, so to speak. After after a fairly slow build up, you end up getting a score of, you know, pretty much every score seems to be 130 to 145 at the moment. You end up building up for half the half the innings. So that's an hour and a half spent of building up and then an hour hour spent trickle down and then you end up, as Matt says, with this thrilling finish and you go home thinking, was that worth it? Yeah, often it is. But I'm not convinced for the people in the stadium who are coming for the first time or, or being taken there by the parents for the first time saying, Here you go, this is cricket, isn't this amazing? I'm not think I don't think they come away wowed, to be honest. I think the music's nice enough. Um, I think the the, the 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 fonts and and the gl- the glitz and the glamour and the and, and all the rest of it works fine. Um, but you know, if you're trying to reinvent the wheel and sell cricket as something brand new, I don't think anything we've seen here has been better than the blast. Put it that way. And um, if it's not better than the blast, what's the point in 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 the fangling in the first place? Um, I'm not trying to not trying to not trying to rain on the parade. I'm just I'm just not convinced. It's been quite as good as 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 the as the noise around the commentary boxes would 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 have you believe. 
<laughs> well, even if it is only as good as the blast, it's it's obviously all part of a uh, a grand plan to um, shelve the eighteen counties and, and you know replace them with eight super city teams. So you know that that, that that's going going okay. Um, <laughs> Matt, for in terms of making it something new, uh, reinventing the wheel, and so on. I mean, for anyone who is acquainted with the game um, and has been to T Twenty, if you can sort of just think of it as five uh, sorry 25 ball overs uh with some bells and whistles involving revolving around when you change ends and whether a bowler can stay on for a little bit it isn't massively different really is it uh um, apart from the the fewer balls and maybe uh the slight um uh giving the bowlers a little bit of something with uh with some of the the tweaks yeah, I think I think it's incredibly similar, really. I, I, you know, looking at that game I was at last night, I, other than people being at a different end and stuff like, yeah, one fewer ball per spell or something like that. You know, Chris Jordan and Tamil Mills bowling at the death together is something that we've seen them do for Sussex and very briefly for England. Um, and it happened again last night, and it felt much the same as it has previously. And um, you know, yeah, I think uh, I, I think the the new regulations. I think there's there's certain good changes. I really like the um, fact that new batters always on strike. I think that's a, a very good change. Obviously, there's no reason you couldn't have introduced that to another format of cricket and just made that standard. But um, you know, sometimes it takes something seismic to happen to to bring about those changes. I mean, in in a similar way, actually, to what Miller was saying about the the countdown in the second innings, it's, it's an incredibly easy and obvious thing to do to have. You know, runs remaining, uh, runs required, balls remaining on a big screen in simple form. But you know, anecdotally, I remember going to the Oval with some uh, some mates, some of whom were and some of whom weren't cricket fans a couple of years ago, and sat looking at a board where, you know, <laughs> it, it was just as prominent the fact that shirt number fifty eight had bowled two overs as it was that um, you know they needed fifty eight <laughs> off thirty four or whatever it was. So, um, it, you know, sometimes you do need those those. Uh, sort of huge seismic shifts in order to bring about the incremental change as well. But um, yeah, I, I think it, the cricket has felt pretty similar in terms of pace. Um, there's, as you say, actually, the bowlers, I think, have probably come into it more, partly because um, the pitches have helped spin a lot. Um, I think I think I, I was chatting to um, someone at Crickviz the other day who said, I think we're at a, a sort of record high in terms of percentage balls or overs bowled by spinners in a competition so far. Um, which is pretty remarkable given given it's in England, but I should I suppose shows that the fact that there there are actually a lot of you know very solid county level spinners um, and a lot of uh, good overseas players who have come over as well who bowl spin uh, and that the pitches have suited etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a, by and large I think T Twenty with with minor changes. Uh, I think the fact that time is squeezed has added something because uh, this this cutoff rule has been in place in the blast for two years but it's been very rarely enforced because uh there's been less of a squeeze on time whereas i think you know last night's game for example it really did add something that mills and jordan had an extra fielder up inside the ring um there was the game on uh saturday night actually the superchargers game i think where Mahmood had to bring square leg up inside the ring uh because they'd missed the cutoff and uh, immediately someone hit it over um square leg it, four four or six i can't remember it's all blurring into one already um <laughs> but um yeah i think i think uh, cricket wise i i think uh yeah the the i think the main thing that i've taken away from it as much as anything has been uh the sort of scarcity value and the prime time nature of having one game a night 
um, which has has always been the blast massive Achilles heel because um, you know I was thinking in, in the example of Mills I, I spoke to him about it at the start of the year actually um, when I did an interview with him where, where he was saying basically one of the massive things that he thought was going to benefit him in terms of his England prospects and his prospects of getting picked up in the IPL stuff like that was the fact that um, every performance he put in would be on TV. So he's someone who in the past has benefited from happening to perform in a televised game when he yorked Gale, um, I think five years ago now, bowling high pace and, uh, you know, huge viral moment immediately. Um, where, But th- there have been a couple of examples. Last night, you know, he took, I think, naught for 15 or one for 15 from 20 balls, something that doesn't really leap off a scorecard. But for people who have watched that, they'll know that it was a really good death bowling performance and it'll have been really easy for them to see. Whereas I was thinking back, there was a, there was a game earlier in the blast that I was sort of half watching on a stream with another three or 400 people on it at the time where he, he bowled a brilliant couple of death overs at Glenn Phillips, who was 80 odd not out, who didn't hit him for a single boundary. And he, you know, um, foxed him with a couple of slower balls, landed a couple of Yorkers, all this sort of thing. But it, you know, went completely unremarked because uh, if if there are eight or nine games happening simultaneously, and uh, you know, it's sort of the, the one of the great metaphysical questions: if it happened at Hove in front of two thousand people and uh, two hundred people on a live stream, did it? Did it really? Uh, did he really bowl a Yorker? Um, so yeah. <laughs> I think that that scarcity value has been huge. And, and, you know, you've seen that with young players. Like Obviously, Harry Brook has performed in the Blast on TV previously, but having three consecutive televised innings where he makes runs and does really well and looks really good, suddenly there's a huge um, sort of groundswell of support behind him in the way that there probably hasn't been in the past because one out of 13 innings or whatever it would have been in the Blast group stages was on TV. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, we're living this at the moment with the, with the Royal London Cup, the poor, poor long-lamented cup is, is burbling on in the background some incredible stories i mean if you if you just take take the you know the, take a pinch of salt given that it is basically dregs and dregs and kids playing but uh some of those kids have played some incredible performances sussex up at sedgeborough and it's an amazing game at edgebass the other night and you know then at the other end of the spectrum you've got alistair cook churning away i mean it, there's some interesting interesting things going on but you know when it's seven eight games a night it's it's just it's just noise. No nobody nobody is nobody's paying any any great attention to it. It's it's a it's a dredge to to, to go through the score scorecards at the night and and stick up the reports for us, let alone people going to read them. Um, it, it it does make a difference. It really does make a difference to be to be a point to view right right front and center in your face in the way that this tournament has been. And we've been very lucky with the weather as well. I mean that that's one of the big uh, was it three games rained out to. Two men, one women. I think is is that right? I mean, that's that's yeah. pretty good given the summer we've had, and <laughs> um, and so yeah, they they've they, they, it, it, it's it's working. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, we won't try to analyse uh, uh, every game, um, but uh, the group stages are, are almost halfway through. Uh, thankfully. And uh, there are plenty of talking points. Um, Miller sort of touched on the success of, of the women's um, competition. I mean, clearly giving them equal billing is, is a big step forward that, they, that a lot of the players have spoken about. Um, the fact they're all, they're all um, televised games. They're often getting the better of conditions as well. Or, or, you know, the, the pitches are less um, used, less tired by the time uh, by when they're being um, uh, played on by the women. Um, and there have been big crowds, you know, wh- whether some of the, the figures are a bit debatable, uh, the, the way they're measured, you know, obviously everyone has 
uh, tickets are sold for both games and and you can quite clearly see from TV coverage at the start that uh, there aren't masses of people in uh, um, quite often but um but there have been there also been big performances from star players which uh, uh, we'll probably come on to a little bit the, a bit of a contrast with the men there but um, Danae Van Niekerk on the opening night uh, Jemima Rodrigues with the, the highest score of the, the tournament so far uh, men's or women's uh, Smitty Mandana Danny Wyatt Hayley Matthews um, people that have um, you know they're the, the sort of the big billing players and um, by and large they've They've stood up and done that. And then, Miller, you mentioned sort of Alex Capsi. Matt wrote about Lauren Bell the other day um, for Southern Brave. So that is clearly a, a step forward for the game, uh, Miller. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you leave out the Australians who haven't turned up, it's pretty much a who's who of anyone who's anyone in the women's game has turned up for the 100, including, of course, the Indians, which is, which is massive because they're, the, they're the one sticking point when it comes to, comes to getting, getting overseas players for the men's game covid or no covid and instead you got yeah as you mentioned jimmy rodriguez her, her her 19 on out absolutely sensational performance and uh, it really set set the game alight as, as did van niekirk's efforts on that opening night which was which was just a great occasion on on so many levels it i i, I remember watching the first few overs through through gritted teeth i was thinking oh my god this is this is terrifying because so much at stake. The first ball was a wide, there was a fumble, and then everything was going wrong. And thinking, oh my God, is it, are, they, are they actually going to pull this out of the bag? And lo and behold, they did. And, and it helped, I have to say, I have to say, it helped that I switched channels from the BBC uh, to, <laughs> to Sky because I thought I found the BBC's coverage absolutely teeth gratingly awful on that first night. Um, I, I appreciate they're appealing to a different audience. I, I found it too try hard and too too noisy, too little interest in actual cricket and too much interest in, woohoo, look at us, we're back. Hey, do you miss us? Uh, yeah, mate, well, you, you've been gone 30 years. Don't, don't, try and, don't, try and, don't try and pretend that you give a, give a damn now. Um, but anyway, I, I digress a touch. But yeah, once I, sw- once I switched over and had Nasser Zane calling it rather than Michael Vaughan, I was able to relax into, <laughs> into hearing the cricket again and it turned into a, into a fantastic spectacle. And as a consequence of that, it's, it's grown out into an event that really has propelled women onto an equal platform. And that, that is, that is the one beauty of the hundred. It, 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 you know, that, that equal branding and the equal opportunity, it's all very well putting, giving that lip service, but to see it in action and see the, the fact that the women are putting in performances to merit their billing um, is, is gratifying. And, and certainly my, as I say, I brought my girls along to, to Lords as it happens that was one of the games that got washed out. The the men's game, absolute deluge in the afternoon, got got wiped out. But we were happy. We'd seen the women's game. We we that was really what we'd come to watch, and we went we went home thinking, well, that was fun. And actually, had we hung around till nine o'clock or whatever, well, actually a bit earlier than that because it was a morning game. But had we hung around till half past seven, I suspect the day would have felt too long. The back to back these these tournaments were never meant to be. Um, double headers every single day of course Covid has changed the narrative it was meant to be played on you know Taunton and Hove and smaller smaller grounds for, for the women and you know the fact that it hasn't on the one hand has been brilliant because giving giving you know I think Anya Shrubsall was playing at Lords for the first time since the World Cup final when she took six wickets I mean it's absolutely preposterous that it's been that long since since they've had an opportunity on the stage and and I dare say the success and the crowds coming in all the rest of it will ensure that we don't have to wait that long. Uh, but on the flip side, the one thing, I, again, again, coming back to the spectacle point of view, 
uh, the one thing I will say is that it's been it's been very obvious that the grounds the the boundaries are brought in for the women, and there's absolutely no problem with that. Although my my girls again were, were outraged when they saw the boundaries being pulled back for the men. They go, how, how dare they make it bigger for the for the boys? That's not fair. But if the grounds if the women were playing on smaller grounds in the first place, you'd end up with a situation whereby the ball would be flying, for, or seemed to be flying further, and would again just 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 increase the wow factor a little bit. Um, small small complaint because you know getting on the big stage is absolutely fantastic. But there is a there is a merit as well. To, to having having the women, you know, Chelmsford, for instance, is is a great ground for women's cricket because you're right on top of the action and you and you and and it's it, it really does feel intense in a way that um, it perhaps sometimes doesn't. You know, when it's slightly echoing at Edgebaston or, or Headingley in the in the early early half of a game that's filling up. It's great that it is filling up, and it's great that uh, by the climax of any match you you've, you've got you know, five figure crowds, but it's not. You know, the, 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 you do have to take a little bit of a pinch of salt with with the numbers that the, the women are getting. But broadly speaking, it, 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 I would say it's been the one absolute unequivocal bonus of of the hundred. Yeah, the, the double headers are a bit of a double edged sword, aren't they? With um, the, the firstly, the idea that um, you know all women's tournament should be able to stand alone. We've had this with World Cups in the past, where playing games before the men sort of makes them the undercard by default. Um, and then, uh, then obviously the issues with pitches being used twice and so on. Um, and and Matt, the, there's also been a bit of a, a bit of a narrative around the crowds. Um, the 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 new audience is obviously the the mythical beast that the ECB is is looking for. Uh, and it certainly seems, you know, on TV and and from people. Uh, at the games, that the early the the early fixture uh, for the women there is a greater representation of uh, children, uh, women, mums, mums and kids, as as Strauss Andrew Strauss um, put when he put his foot in it uh, back at the launch of the whole thing. Um, that that does seem to be sort of coming through, but by the time the evening games are, are getting into full swing, um, there's there's the you know the beer tills have obviously been ringing, um, the usual sort of "Don't take me home" choruses are ringing around the ground, um, and it does seem a lot like a, a regular night at the Blast. Um, and I, I don't I don't know what the right answer is there because clearly you know the Blast um, sells well, makes money, the the, the counties in that case, but the, the you know the the um, the new clubs here, um, uh, the the um, the grounds are happy to to see that that money coming th- coming in uh, for, through concessions and and so on. But um, but the ECB there's a heavy focus on getting getting those getting the family experience right, and it's it's quite hard to marry that those two up. Yeah, I mean, well, I suppose the great illustration of it is probably Lords yesterday, where we had you know uh, not quite prohibition, but some kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> limits on the the usual. Um, God-given right for people to bring their own booze into into Lords was uh, stripped away for everyone but for uh, but MCC members. Um, <laughs> Not from them, and, crucially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and and uh, yeah, I think I think they closed the bars at the start of the run chase in the men's game, uh, limited it to two drinks per transaction. So various sort of. Um, measures taken to try and basically make it a lot harder to just turn it into a night on the beers um which is quite interesting really i mean there has been a real issue in the tournament so far with pitch invasions actually which i've been quite um i've been quite surprised by actually i don't really think i've noticed it being such a big issue in the past but you know we had um there have been a couple of a couple of occasions where 
you know, someone's been on the field during a ball and it's actually kind of affected the outcome of the game. I think that was the the big issue during the the uh, the, the sort of Hale Stokes game last Monday, where uh, where Stokes sort of um, encouraged mm. the umpires to to call a dead ball because someone had been on the pitch. Then uh, in the Southern Brave Birmingham Phoenix game the other night, Benny Howell dropped a catch mm. with someone sort of running on just over his shoulder, and it's, that has been a real issue because you know for all. Um, all the fact there might be a few people who sort of give it a big cheer and everything in in the ground it you know it doesn't it doesn't do anything for for the spectacle or for the reputation of of the the sport and the competition if people are constantly getting onto the pitch so um i don't know whether that means they're just going to have to employ more stewards or what it is because obviously it's not not, not something that's that easy to stop if someone's completely determined to get on um but yeah that that has been a bit of a problem i think it, you know i i find it quite difficult to to uh, analyze without any kind of um, sort of independent ratification of numbers. I think the ECB's analysis so far has been that it's been a slight improvement in terms of percentage of um, female ticket buyers, for example. But even even you know trying to trying to work out a demographic of a crowd of twenty five thousand people is extremely difficult because you know uh, for example Miller's ticket to take his family I'm sure would would log in the ECB system as um someone of his age profile and demographic but he's brought along um you know Mrs Miller and and the two girls so it's a, well, exactly. it's a very I mean, this, different this, this is this is the fascinating issue. thing it's a fascinating thing that I, I certainly anecdotally from walking down the Wellington Road um seeing the various other people turning up it was an 11 o'clock start so it was, it was early in the early in the day and there were huge crowds so it was a good sign that they were coming for the women's game because you know four hours before the men kicked off but the conversations that i picked up as i was walking down were very much they very much sounded like me basically people who like cricket finally deciding right sprogs you're coming <laughs> whether you like it or not it was it, it, it wasn't a case of oh look that's that's that sounds like an interesting new venture going on at this funny old stadium that I've never heard of before let's go along it's very much a case of of probably not even lapsed cricket fans but just cricket fans who've for one reason or another have found that their fandom ends with them and they've not been able to pass it on to their kids or alternatively and this again you got this got this from the um the various kids being interviewed in the ground there were one or two absolute badgers among those kids, you know. <laughs> and they, if, if, they, if you're telling me these, these, these kids giving technical analysis of, of Jamima Rodriguez's uh, <laughs> technique is uh, are new to the game, then, I, then, I, then I'm a red herring. There's absolutely no way. These kids have been brought up absolute cricket badgers who've come through every age group level imaginable and go on and play for England. So, again, they're not the new audience either. I'm, you know, I'm still not convinced the new audience has been located yet. And I, I, I put that down. I fundamentally, I put that down. If it, if they, if they can't find it, I'll put it down to the failure of the free-to-air strategy. I'm not convinced that that the BBC are uh, quite pulling the weight that they claim they would uh, with the way that they've, um, they've, they've scheduled their games. Too many games hidden on red buttons and, and not enough games in prime time and all the rest of it. Certainly, the women. I thought it was going to be ten men, ten women on on BBC Two, which. Again, it's not quite every game, every match, but it's a decent, decent showing. But I think it's only one, isn't it? On one women's game, yeah, it's one, it's in. one group game and the and the two knockouts, yes, and, the knockouts, um, and then that's seven right. red button. So yeah, which you it's, know, I, I, it's again, a cheat. I, I, yeah, I was on the I was on a sort of BBC call with um, Ishiguro and it, the uh, the PR person sort of pointed out that you know everyone who watches on BBC Two 
also has access to the red button and iPlayer, but I thought it completely missed the point, which is that you, you flick on and you get the casual v- viewers. I know in the um, in the Women's Super League of football, that was a huge thing when they, they got their free-to-air deal recently, um, was that previously you really had to know uh, where to look if you wanted to watch a, a live women's football match. Um, it, you know, if you wanted to watch Arsenal Man City, you had to know that it was on BT Sport 3 at this time and there was no chance anyone would stumble across it. And I kind of think that's the same. I don't think anyone is going to stumble across, uh, you know, Red Button or iPlayer or BBC Sport website if they're not <laughs> already a, a cricket fan. Um, you only so, have, yeah, to, listen, you only have to listen to the to the aggro that the BBC are getting for the, their Olympics coverage to know that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're sharing their Olympics coverage with Discovery. And so, therefore, they don't get the free range that they've had in previous Olympics. And they're getting in the neck because, you know, all of a sudden you're not able just to pick pick and choose your water polo and your... And your ping pong and all the rest of it you get given i'm turned on telly the other morning bloody golf i mean who wants to watch <laughs> golf in prime time in olympics it's 8 30 in the morning that's not what you tune in for so you know this this is my, this is my point if you're not if it's not front and center when you turn on that telly people are just going oh, whatever it's not on gone you're not you're not going to drag people in unless they know what they're looking for um well uh, I've, I've just looked it up there have apparently been five men's games on uh BBC Two um, to to date, uh, and the women's opener as well. I have to say, most of that has passed me by. Uh, I'm not the casual viewer, but but even sort of oh, there's an Olympics going on, but it hasn't um, it hasn't seemed to sort of hit you square between the eyes that um, that BBC the BBC are broadcasting um, this as well. The, the next women's game is not until the 10th of August, uh, which is then on the iPlayer. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much a three week gap. Uh, from from the opener, yeah, um, I'm afraid that's not good enough. When you when you're trying to sell this as equal opportunity and make make all the big noise about yeah this this is our real real play to get the game back in the public eye, and you know pr- promoting all these all these these groundbreaking figures for people turning up, which again as we discussed uh, uh, you have to take with a grain of salt. Um, but it's you know they're not they're not being backed up well enough, especially if if as as, as is rumoured. Or not so much rumoured as as is known that the you know, the hundred came about to, to fit schedules in the first place. It, it feels it feels a little bit disingenuous to, to then not actually go out of your way to to put that put this rescheduled format in those schedules. Um, so yeah, room for improvement, I'd say in in twenty in twenty twenty one on that front. <laughs> well, the scheduling thing is interesting as well, um, because there seemed to be a big emphasis on getting the game done within two and a half hours. I think the um, the BBC scheduling has left about three hours uh, all told, which seems sensible because most games it would appear go over two and a half hours, sort of two hours thirty to two hours forty five seems to be um, the, the sweet spot. Uh, unless you get um, uh, a Birmingham Phoenix bowled out for 87, as, as did happen uh, on, on the first weekend of double-double headers. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. I, I remember reading in the run-up to the tournament, tournament about BBC, the BBC executives supposedly being nervous about games, uh, how long they would run on for. And, and we were told at like the trial day, for instance, that a game should only take about two hours. I think they, they um, budget for sort of one hour, five minutes uh, for each innings, don't they, plus... 10, 15 minutes um, in the middle, but it definitely, and the, and the more you sort of, the more emphasis you put on things, the more the higher the stakes are, the more everyone's invested in it, the longer they are going to take. I mean, you only have to look at the way the IPL can draw a 2020 game out to, to four hours. Um, so yeah, that'll be interesting to, to see sort of how that settles. Um, the the men's side of, of the cricket um, 
if we can go into that a little bit, it, it, that has been a bit harder to fathom. I, I think it's fair to say. Um, and and then and there again with sort of the uh, capacity numbers and, and attendances, uh, a lot of those advertisers sold out. I think the the oval on the opening night is is, is a good place to start. That was eighteen thousand. Uh, was the official attendance kind of uh, once it all been counted and and arguably Surrey would would do better than that for a blast game on a Thursday night in in July um, but yeah the, the, the sort of par score no one knows what a par score is but 145 is beginning to look about it uh, that was uh, that was what the Oval Invincibles made in that first game in fact and won um, and as as Matt mentioned yesterday you had um, 145 defended at Lords uh, and 145 chased down quite ruthlessly by by Birmingham Phoenix. Um, so yeah, that that the, the, the sort of the the numbers are, are all sort of <laughs> broadly in the same sort of range. You've had a couple of big scores about, made by Welsh Fire, surprisingly enough. Johnny Bairstow was probably the the standout for uh, those couple of games, and then the the leading performers are an interesting bunch as well, it's fair to say. Sort of Harry Brook is the, the top scorer. Um, Darcy Short is second, who, who is an overseas star, um, an Australian international, but probably not sort of the, the, the big name that the ECB had in mind. Uh, not David Warner, um, for instance, kind of leading the, leading the way. And then um, Marchant Delanger and, and Adam Milne, who's been fantastic, actually. Um, a great signing uh, for Birmingham Phoenix, but he was only picked up as a replacement sort of a couple of weeks before before the tournament. It felt like um, so. Yeah, Matt, it's been uh, from that side of, of kind of analysing um, the games and looking at the the players who've done well. It, the, it's thrown up quite a lot of surprises, albeit that sort of Rashid Khan does seem to have found his range now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was a great shock that Rashid Khan would probably do okay in this format, <laughs> was it? Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I think that's probably fair. I think it. I would say that the cricket has stood up pretty well, given um, if you consider, especially those, the fact that England's test players or the, the players that are in the squad to play India were only available for the first two. And I think, I'm trying to think if I've missed anyone, but I think Johnny Bairstow was the only sort of real standout performer out of that group um, off the top of my head who, who played sort of two very good innings for Welsh Fire. I, I can't think of anyone else that had a had an incredible time of it. Sam Curran um, hit the first six of the men's tournament and yeah. then bowled all right, but uh, yeah. Yeah, but, it, you know, you didn't quite, you know, the, the idea, <laughs> I think, for those first couple of games, as much as anything, was going to be, um, you know, ideally you have uh, Stokes and Butler and they can, a nice big picture of them and their new shiny kit on the back page of a newspaper um, and all that sort of thing. Um, Joe which Root obviously... bowled well. <laughs> yeah, yeah Root, Root with his licorice all sorts spin. Um, but yeah, you, you didn't really have the star performers and obviously the tournament's lost a lot of the massive overseas names who would have that traction. Um, so I think, yeah, obviously you are looking at a slightly different calibre of player probably in terms of who's done well. Um, but equally in terms of the teams that have been successful, I think firstly it's, it's probably a really good thing that the, the table is at quite as tight as it um, has been so far the fact that there's not been a sort of runaway leader or I mean London Spirit have been pretty hopeless but um, I think it is tight and I think that will probably add a, a good narrative um, in the last week or so of the group stage when teams are playing their final games uh, and uh, people sort of start paying a bit more attention to the table and working out who needs to do what to, to get through um, I, I think actually, to be honest, I think one of the really good things, and it harks back to that same um, point about sort of scarcity and visibility and appointment to view slots and all that sort of thing, has been that 
the ability for um, certain players. I'm thinking of people like Chris Benjamin as well, um, who obviously played a, a cameo that, again, would be completely lost in the blast. He, he made, I think he made 60-odd off 30-odd uh, on his blast debut the, the weekend before that Friday night game. Uh, which went, you know, completely unnoticed. And then, uh, you know, by the end of that week, everyone was talking about him because he'd made 27 not out or something, but because it had featured that sort of viral moment of uh, a reverse slog pull something for six that uh, KP had sort of um, gone wild over. And actually, I I, I sort of had this this moment of realisation last night, um, despite the fact that I... I I'd, I expect you guys are similar, have found a lot of the Sky coverage occasionally quite grating and just TV coverage more generally quite grating with commentators going, you know, so far over the top for these moments. Um, they do actually make it work really well on the sort of bite-sized social media highlights clips because um, I, hadn't, I hadn't been listening to the, to the TV coverage last night. Um, but then we're scrolling through Instagram when I got home last night and saw, the, um, saw sort of KP and Darren Sammy uh, commentating over... Uh, De Cox catch and run out separately, and I thought, you know, I completely get why um, they're, they're sort of going, why why people are seemingly pushing the commentators to go so all out because it does make it a lot more engaging for a little fifteen or twenty second highlights clip if you have KP completely, um, you know, going off as going off as nut um, at one of these amazing moments. Um, but yeah, ba- basically, I think um, cricket wise, I think there's there's been a lot of um, maybe unheralded uh, English players, people like Matt Carter, for example, has had a really good tournament. Um, and he's, you know, he's done the same for Knotts, but um, it, it's it, it's that platform for people to perform that probably hasn't quite been there in the blast for better or for worse. Um, and, you know, if you strip it back and go existential and say, would it have worked if you'd done a top division blast and put it on free to air TV, blah, 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 you can have a long rambling debate and go circular on it. But I think the fact is that, you know, this thing is happening and um, it's having a positive effect in, in that sense and that it is giving the opportunity for unheralded county players to, um, to to really make a name for themselves in a way that probably hasn't necessarily been um, open to them in the past. Uh, yeah, and, and on the on the sort of level of scrutiny and every game being kind of uh yeah up there for for all to see and uh put in the shop window let's say um miller you you sort of mentioned the pitches um this is the sort of the tension between i suppose good pitches and winning pitches and what teams want to do um and i'm thinking here of of the manchester originals and 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 old trafford um and that first double header weekend where uh uh, a surface was served up uh, on which, um, uh, well, first, first the 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 women's game. I think the um, the target was sort of a hundred and ten or something like that, and uh, um, the home team couldn't quite get there despite Harmon Precor uh, batting throughout the innings pretty much for, for 49 not out of 47 um, and then you had uh, uh, Birmingham men's uh, Birmingham men versus um, uh, the originals and both captains desperately wanted to uh, to bat first uh, Moeen Ali got the chance and then his team were bowled out for 87 um, and Matt Parkinson um, clearly enjoyed it <laughs> 4 for 9 very good figures he produced another one of his sort of ball of the century candidates um and and there's a lot there for the for the cricket purists to like, but um, 
too many of too many games like that, and there haven't been many to be fair of of, of that extreme ilk. Uh, but there have been, uh, yeah, there have been on the on the lower scoring side, um, and like, as you say, that is it makes it a little bit diff- more difficult to drag in uh, the casual viewer. Yeah, I mean, Matt Parkins' wicket is a case in point. If you're if you're sat at backwards square leg and and that happens, it's just another bold. If you're if you're right behind the bowler's arm and see see what it did, you, it's going to be mesmerising. And if you're on telly. It's going to be great as well. So you know, if you're if you're if you're already sucked in through a through a um a, a well thought out uh, free to air strategy, then you're going to really fully appreciate that. If you're if you're not and you're just you're just not quite paying attention and and miss the moment, you're not going to you're not going to get the full value, are you? But I I don't know. I I I I completely accept that bowlers have a place in in this format i'm not going to go over old ground what i will say is that uh i can't believe that the ecb would have ordered these pitches and therefore it makes makes me wonder why on earth they've allowed them to happen because you know if this was an icc event the icc would oversee pitch preparation it's why you know england didn't quite get the pitches they thought they were going to get for the world cup last summer in, in 2019 i mean partly that was to do with the weather as well but you know they weren't they weren't made to order roads for england to, to ransack people on it, it was a bit for a bit of bit in it for everyone and so you know when when you when you're going going whole hog to completely re, re reconfigure your competition surely you're going to want to sort of have some sort of over oversight on the pitches so that you can't have certain teams preparing homers uh, for, for for certain bowlers and 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 generally you know home advantage shouldn't be quite such a home advantage when frankly there's no home heritage for these teams to get stuck into so um i don't know feels like an oversight to me um but fine if it you know if, the, if this is the way if this is the way it's to be and we're, we're to we're to create the tournament that that provides nuance for for spin bowlers to come to come to the fore then fine if you know i just don't believe that's quite the quite the um the spectacle that uh, they, they'd envisaged uh well i'm 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 not sure it's working uh, uh too well either uh, in the sense that um well the the women's team uh originals have haven't won a game yet uh, <laughs> although uh, the men are, uh have won two and lost one and are uh, second in the standings which is where we'll go uh Matt for a quick sort of round up of uh, of our um hundred chats uh, i mean how are you um how, how are your predictions looking uh, now i mean southern brave of <laughs> Southern Brave have pulled it back with a couple of wins after losing their opening two. Um, Trent Rockets looked very good with their sort of bowler-heavy uh, uh, approach until getting obliterated uh, yesterday by by Birmingham Phoenix. I mean, like you said, it has been it has been pretty open um, in 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 both competitions, um, except for the fact that London Spirit are sort of uh, clearly the stragglers of the lot with one win between the the men's and and the women's teams. Yeah, well, I mean, to start with the men's, I think, um, you know, I think after tonight's game at the Oval, um, we'll be at the halfway point. Um, So if if Oval win that, the teams will be on 6-5-5-4-4-4-3-1 points. So it's incredibly tight, um, basically, which which was always likely to happen, actually, because of the fact that you had a, a draft system. And, you know, how no matter how badly you screwed things up at the draft and no matter how badly you were affected by overseas players pulling out, um, every team has a certain number of very high quality uh, English white ball players and a handful of pretty solid overseas players. So teams have match winners. Teams can 
prepare certain pitches to their advantage at home and you know uh, it it it, it, ma- it makes complete sense that it's been tight. I think um, the Brave are an interesting one. I think they're they're basically it's classic Mahela Jai Wardner stuff at the moment. They're, they uh, his Mumbai Indians team are, are famed for starting horribly slowly in the IPL. I think they've lost their opening match for something like eight or nine consecutive seasons. Um, so the Brave, you know, as you would expect, uh, lost their first two. Everyone sort of wondered what the hell was going on uh, and then have now won two in a row and might get Joffrey Archer back for a game or two towards the back end. And uh, if they do that, then they're going to be a very difficult team to beat, I think. Um, Trent Rockets, yeah, started really well. Um, They've they've got the three-pronged spin attack, um, which has been quite a common feature, actually, of the tournament. Um, Teams teams picking three spinners and running with it. I I expect Welsh Farah will probably tail off a little bit without Bears though. Uh, Manchester have been solid. Um, again, sort of spin-heavy strategy. Um, big boost to have Lockie Ferguson fit again. Uh, Birmingham look all right, I think. Um, maybe a, a little light in the middle order. Uh, Oval have only played two completed games, so I, I think they're a really good team because they have a really strong English bowling attack of uh, Topley Curran, Mahmood, uh, and then two very good overseas spinners in Narayan and Shamji. So I think they'll do really well. Uh, and Northern and Spirit, I think, um, will will end up bringing up the rear. I think I actually did all right in terms of how I predicted the women's comp to look. I think I said that Southern Brave and Northern Superchargers, who are the sort of runaway leaders at the moment, um, would be slightly clear of the chasing pack. Uh, I also have to call Miller out because I noticed in the build-up to, to Trent Rocket's third game after they'd lost their first two, he was mugging me off and saying how uh, you know <laughs> this uh, the Roller, young Rollers tiff have turned out to be basement dwellers, and now they've they've stormed to victory in their last two. So I'm I'm fully fully invested now. I'm uh, you know I'm going to have to go and get some some Trent Rocket R- Rockets merch so I can rub it in his face when they end up uh, storming to the title. But yeah, well, I, 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 I pick the fact that Spirit Squad. Was was utter rubbish. So, so. <laughs> um, I'll take that. But yeah, I mean it, the the brave look pretty good. They got. Um, I I actually quite like the. Um, they did, neither of them actually bowled at all well yesterday, despite the fact they bowled spirit out for ninety three. But I really like the um, sort of dynamic between um, Anya Shrubsole, who's their their skipper, and Lauren Bell, who's the the young seamer, um, because. In a way, they're not entirely dissimilar as bowlers, both sort of big, big swingers of the new ball. Um, and Shrubs all sort of been stood at mid off throughout, um, offering offering advice at the top of Bell's mark. And, um, you know, it seems, seems to be a pretty good relationship there. Superchargers kind of been riding on um, Jimmy Rodrigue's form in the first couple of games and uh, seem, seem to have a pretty strong core. Um, so yeah, basically, I think uh, the women's competition has probably taken a little bit more shape in terms of the table. I think there's two teams that are clearly better better than the chasing pack, uh, whereas the men's, I think, yeah, other than the fact that Spirit have no chance, I think it, it it's pretty much um, pretty much up for grabs at this point. And Owen Morgan loves it uh, the competition <laughs> anyway, so uh, he won't mind. Um, I think that's enough hundred balls uh, for now. There there is. After all, a test series about to commence, um, albeit trying to uh, drum up enthusiasm for England's test team at the moment is a bit like encouraging a toddler to swap their sweets for a nice plate of carrots and broccoli. Um, the big news, uh, and it is a big blow, uh, is that Ben Stokes won't be involved, um, Miller, as he is taking an indefinite break from the game to prioritise his mental well-being as well as focus on recovery uh, from a finger fracture. Uh, I suppose this is uh, in keeping with the, the ECB's approach uh, and, and, you know, supportive and, and proactive in terms of 
um, player welfare. Um, but it's it's you know it's significant news. It's, it's huge news. I mean, it's huge that he's come out and and, and said it's you know it's not simply a finger break because he could easily have said that my finger is not not doing well here. I mean, you could tell that frankly from. You know that 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 you know, Matt mentioned in passing the the match uh, Trent Rockets game where he dropped Hales so spectacularly. I mean, I I I thought I think that was almost certainly down to the finger because uh, there was an in, moment in his innings earlier as well where he'd played a reverse sweep shortly before he got out, and you could see him wringing his hand in pain afterwards. He seemed to jar it, and and so there was it was all set up for him to be able to say look my finger's not healed he he talked about it previously but no he's come out and said look my finger's not right but nor nor nor's my mental approach and that's that's a huge admission from a guy who's who's always so front and center of everything england do so seemingly indestructible whether it be bat and ball or match situation he's found a way to just um just be england's go-to man he was england's go-to man when they when they suddenly had a covid outbreak and He's rustled up from 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 recuperating from that finger injury to come and lead England to a clean sweep in what was frankly a remarkable ODI series that we've we've already covered in depth. Um, so yeah, fair play to him for saying this. It's and you're right. It is the ECB have telegraphed this. Uh, I thought Tom Harrison spoke incredibly well um, just before the hundred began about the bubble and the need to break the bubble because if you don't burst the bubble, you're going to break the players essentially was what he was saying and you do sense in hindsight whether he already had a had an inkling of this clearly England have had uh, had uh, um, delegations to talk about the ashes and the impending uh, family situation this winter so that, that it's clearly been front and centre of how the ECB have been approaching things and I guess you know if the ashes is the, the be all and end all for England as Chris Silverwood said at the beginning of the summer then by all means this is the moment to give Ben Stokes a break. I mean, some people would say he's had a long break, but, you know, he disappeared, uh, missed the last test or two against Pakistan last August, didn't play again until until the IPL and then, then England's winter tours and was a bit of a peripheral figure, to be perfectly honest, despite one massive hundred in the, in the, in the, in the, in the White Ball series. Um, but he's not looked right, has he? I mean, you know, he, he, he lost his father um, to brain cancer. You wonder... It's sort of thing that you know you you need your family around you to get get over a moment like that, and clearly he hasn't been able to for whatever reason. And and he's not the only one who's been struggling with with the separation that that COVID has caused. It's been a huge and ongoing issue, and the fact that someone as prominent and as and as bold and as 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 forceful as Stokes has come out and made this stand and made this statement and been supported by the ECB in doing so. It's a huge moment for the sport. Um, I, I, I think he, English cricket has come an awfully long way uh, since the days of Marcus Strascothic and them trying to hide it away as a, as a mystery virus when he flew home from uh, from that tour of India. But um, the the one thing that you, you can see, there's been a linear sort of tale going back to, I remember Graham Thorpe, similarly in 2002, he had a, had a horrible test against India and and you could see his his mental game was shot. Kevin Peterson has uh, talked about it previously. Uh, Triscothic have mentioned you, you take this narrative arc all the way through for for the last thirty years for England, and the one thing that is clear is it is always the player or players who are in in absolute full demand in all formats who are the most vulnerable to this. And so you know, for Stokes to be able to say, "Look, I need to step away. I cannot put up with." bubble after bubble after bubble and separation after separation after separation at some stage 
uh, as Tom Harrison conceded last week, you know, the players are going to break unless you give them a break. Uh, what it means for the India series, I mean, we've got what, we've got 50 minutes into the pod and we have barely mentioned a word about England versus India in a five-test series, which, again, speaks volumes for just how much overload of cricket there is at the moment and why, frankly, Stokes is right. Uh, you know, if, you, if your mind's not on it, and let's face it, you know, our minds aren't on it. Our minds are not on a test series for all manner of reasons and, it, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's just too much going on. Um, some stage... The, the cricket schedule has got to clear out the clear out the dregs and, and find a way to to ensure that the cream get back to the top. But it's this is part part of the reason, as was discussed previously, why the hundred has come about to try and take for the ECB to take control of the calendar again and not have their players touring endlessly around the world for three hundred days a year in hotel rooms, trying to keep the show on the road. Um, you can't expect these players to keep busting a gut. You can't expect them to, to keep keep going to the well uh, and and doing it to to save the greater good uh, they've got to look after themselves sometimes yeah and it's probably also also worth saying uh, in the interest of balance that the ecb were the ones who came up with the schedule um or at least in in their discussions with other boards and so on and and um created the hundred um and presumably were quite keen on stokes to play in those first two games of the hundred um despite whatever else uh he had going on um but i mean this uh matt this sort of discussion around mental health is is um once being had uh, kind of far and wide within sport I mean, look at the olympics uh, simone biles and um um, Adam Peaty, uh, uh, even today, talking about that sort of thing, and 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 it will, you know, particularly have uh, ramifications for the winter for England um, already. I mean, on the day that Stokes' uh, announcement was made, in fact, the ECB had put out a statement in sort of conjunction with the PCA saying that the um, welfare, uh, player welfare, and staff welfare w- was the priority uh, in discussion for the Ashes, which. Uh, you know, inevitably, there's been a, a bit of a, a, um, a spat with between sort of Michael Vaughan and um, and uh, you know the, the Aussie papers. I think Malcolm Conn uh, <laughs> is, is back prowling his cage um, uh, uh, in in Aussie media land, and um, you know the suggestion that the Ashes could even be delayed if uh, if it you know England weren't able to send a full strength team. Uh, that seems a long way off, but but clearly England's winter isn't going to be sort of um, a, a light schedule of, of of trips to the beach and um, you know a few games in far fun places. It's Bangladesh, Pakistan, the UAE, Australia, and then the West Indies. I think if I'm right. So <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, I mean you know this is this is partly why England have been so keen to to build up that that depth that we've mentioned a lot over the past few weeks in white ball cricket and and just you know, generally um, because there is there's there's too much going on. You can completely understand it from Stokes's point of view where he's you know looking up looking ahead for the next however long I think you know if everything had uh if, if he ended up playing in the series and then played every game that he was meant to he would have gone straight from five India tests to uh you know Bangladesh and Pakistan uh then to the T20 World Cup then straight to Australia for the Ashes there's uncertainty as to how many of those, well, any of those winter tours, whether or not his family would be able to come with him. You can completely understand why you would look at something like that and just think, I can't do this. Um, there's, there's absolutely no chance I can 
get through this this sort of volume of um of time away and and stress and strain of being England's sort of key man as well um and you know I I need a break I can't do it I completely understand you know why why he wouldn't be wouldn't feel able to do that to be honest I, I I'd be slightly surprised if well I'd be very surprised if the Ashes doesn't happen as scheduled this winter is my my hunch at this point because. I think just in terms of um, you know cricket Australia's uh, schedule, their TV money, all that sort of thing, all the commercial tie-ins um, that have made boards so reluctant to cancel series or postpone series unless there is a really dire need to, I think they will find a way to uh, to, to keep the show on the road. Basically, I can, I think I can, you know you can foresee a, a situation where there is extremely limited overlap between the England squads. Uh, for the first couple of Ashes tests, for example, and the squad that goes to the UAE for the T20 World Cup. I can, you know, for example, someone like Chris Wokes, who played some T20s at the start of the summer, surely you'd think that he wouldn't go to the T20 World Cup at this point, because if he's going to have to be in Australia, potentially away from his family, we don't know about that at this point. Um, You know, that's still clearly all being worked through with visas and everything and quarantines. Um, you know, we've no idea whether his family will be able to get to Australia, but the 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 prospect that they might not be able to surely means that if there's any chance you can avoid having overlap there, uh, you get rid of it. Same for people like you know Besto, Moen Ali, Sam Curran, whoever it might be. Um, if if you can split the squads as much as possible, I think England would be entirely right to do that. Just because you know we've heard so much over the past year or so that the um, the whole premise of the rest and rotation policy has been to try and um, be sort of proactive rather than reactive has been the, the line that's been repeated um, with regards to mental health and I think that's you know probably borne itself out and, and shows in the Stokes example but in a sense he's he's doing the same because he's he's clearly at a point where he feels like he can't go into the series but equally um, it's better that he does it now from England's point of view in terms of cricketing performance um, than he, you know, he gets midway through the series and suddenly says, look, guys, I can't I can't do this. I can't do the World Cup. I can't do some of the Ashes. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very much important he takes a break. And I thought actually I, I did the, um, did Ollie Pope's press conference yesterday and he was asked about um, State stepping away and I thought, I thought he made quite, you know, probably quite an obvious, but quite sort of spoke quite well about it, made quite a good point, which was just that, um, you know, it's it's a very good sign that someone who has such a sort of macho fighter image as Stokes has uh, felt able to speak out uh, and take a break and, um you know, uh, reveal his weakness uh, in a way that is completely alien to, to everything he does in a sporting context. So I think, um, yeah, it's I, I think it's it's a, it's a tricky one. And it, yeah, as you as you say, it's important to be balanced because you know Owen Morgan was was saying last night. I asked him about it, and he said, you know, it's the sign of a, a healthy team culture and environment that he feels able to to step away and take a break. Equally, it's the sign of an incredibly unhealthy schedule and cricketing ecosystem uh that you can have a sort of prized asset like like stokes who gets to a point where um the 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 relentlessness of the last year has has pushed him to this point yeah and and it's you know we've been talking about burnout and cricket and so on for for well a decade if not more um we wish him uh well obviously uh good on him and good luck um England are used to playing a weakened test team, it's probably fair to say, um, and albeit they will be missing Stokes, they they have 
A few players back, uh, Miller, who missed the defeat to New Zealand earlier in the summer. So uh, Sam Curran, Joss Butler, Johnny Bairstow, whether it's just to, to carry the drinks. Uh, seems a bit tough on Welsh fire, that one. But um, Ollie Robinson is also in the squad after serving uh, punishment for his social media misdemeanours. Um, I mean, India are always a great challenge. Uh, England lost there over the winter in 2018. England won four one, or the series results sort of flattered them in some ways, um, and it and and it was closer um, at various points throughout. But uh, this time around, India are well beaten World Test Championship finalists, but um, are, are well prepared in some ways because of you know the squad's been over here for some time. Um, they are not number one ranked uh, anymore, thanks to New Zealand, but they are you know uh, formidably strong. Have been pretty much the best side in the world for uh, several years. Um, and it will be gunning for that sort of you know put one over on England for the first time since two thousand seven, I think. Yeah, I mean, if, if they can't if they can't get over England this time, then you wonder when, <laughs> when they ever will. I mean, it, I, I I remember thinking in twenty eighteen England were there for the taking, and somehow they weren't. Even though they were. I mean, that four one was hugely flattering. It was basically England's tail that, that bailed them out time and time again. Sam Curran obviously to the fore there, but uh, and you know it may be that that's that's going to be history repeating itself because I, I I see the depth of England's tail. Uh, Ollie Robinson being a, a key factor in that, as well as as, as Curran now with, with with his likely promotion to to a, a Stokesish role, um, you know that 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 contrasted with you know Shami Bumrah etc. It's not quite the not quite the depth and 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 and, and indomitability that, that England have, have got in that role. But but if England are going to be relying on their tail to win a Test series against India on home soil, uh, that in itself rather begs a few questions about about everything else we we've talked in depth about their their top order and the issues they've had they won't have had much chance to to practice red ball cricket at all one or two of them have had some decent innings Zach Crawley had some fun spanking the ball around for the London spirit before 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 this spearing but um you know is is hitting the ball in the hundred and and feeling liberated from you know just teeing off but not recklessly is that really the is that really the way to, to warm up for a test series? I'm not convinced. Uh, I, I think I'll say what I said in 2018. I, I honestly think England are there for taking. Um, a lot rests on, on India's own batting, of course. Virat Kohli, we've spoken about him ad nauseam. There's, no, there's no, no doubt about his prowess and his determination to achieve what he, what he missed out on 2014 and 2018. Um, but you know the, the the support cast in the middle order. Missing Shubman Gill, obviously, is gone. Um, Ajinka Rahani, uh, you know, huge role that he played in in that, that victory out in out in Australia. You know, captaining the side in in Kohli's absence. But his form has fallen off a cliff since since the highs of that winter. So uh, he's, he's there's a big question mark about him. And even Cheteshwar Pujara, you know, here's here's a guy. You know, he's he's the the rock, the sort of the modern day Rahul Dravid. With with extra sort of uh, doggedness and determination not to score a single run while blunting that new ball. Um, again, I think he only averages twenty nine in, in in England, uh, or maybe it's in England, Australia, and senior countries, as, as people like to say. So you know, again, a question mark about about his his um, durability. England have clearly got 
um, you know, Ollie Robinson hopefully will pick up where he left off at Lords and 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 produce fine performance to support what looks like being Broad and Anderson will will go in with maybe Mark Wood, uh, Jack Leach uh, gunning to get a recall after being overlooked in uh, in the uh, New Zealand series. So in, in, you know, I in, I think England have got a decent decent attack. Um, the question mark as ever is where the runs are going to come from. I just don't know whether England's batting is going to be robust enough, certainly in Stokes' absence. A lot, as usual, resting on Root. Again, even he hasn't had much chance to, to, to practice with his his commitment to the Trent Rockets. So um, it's all very suck and see. I mean, you know, I feel, I feel I'm going into the Test Series unprepared. Uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been, all I've been doing is watching the 100. But you know, two, days, two days' time, we'll be switching formats to try and try and, um, try and and tap out ball by ball for... Uh, for 90 overs a day, uh, you know, it's not, nothing compared to the, the challenge of trying to, <laughs> trying to bat through two, you know, two, three, four innings of uh, sessions at a time. Um, yeah. It's going, to be, it's going to be baffling. We're going to suddenly, suddenly, you know, bin all the, all the technicolours and, and wizardry and zippiness that we've had for the 100 and get back to plodding old line and length with, with, with whites and four. And, and um, I mean, I can't wait in one hand. Yeah. Equally, I, I, Cannot believe it's as soon as Wednesday, and, <laughs> and I, I better do some better some cramming because I'm the chance. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, it, it's uh, it's a full menu. Um, I don't think England's uh, well, uh, the, the squad by and large won't have had the opportunity to have played a, a Red Bull game since about um, July the 11th or something when the last um, round of of the championship conference was played um india have played a warm-up game up in durham and a couple of it uh, well certainly Hasib hamid was involved in that match uh, got got himself a hundred probably still on the um on the fringes of the of the 11 um and that you'd sort of expect i mean but the batting won't change an awful lot um from from the new zealand series in fact with with soaks not coming back um so probably Burns, sibley crawley you've got root anchoring things um, Pope and or Lawrence uh, Butler will replace Bracey um, and then it's it's probably Sam Curran and whether uh, Ollie Robinson adds a bit of fire to the fibre to the lower order um, and back to the to the war horses um, Broad and Anderson yeah I mean that that's the thing about this series really is that you can quite easily construct a narrative where either team wins 5-0 because on the one hand England are really good at home England have two really good seamers in Broad and Anderson and some very good support support seamers. They have a, a, a captain who's in the form of his life with the bat. Um, they have Josh Butler, who's a very underrated test cricketer, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, they have the sort of a, a, a batting lineup that I think everyone thinks has been underperforming given their abilities, especially Crawley and Pope. Uh, so you can very easily construct a narrative where England, it, you know, everything clicks. India are completely worn out in a couple of weeks' time because they've been in the country for so long and it's been such a long tour. Uh, and for whatever reason, their batting crumbles and England completely wipe the floor. Equally, you can see India, you know, winning the toss and bowling on the first day at Trent Bridge. It's overcast. England picked a weird team for whatever reason. The batting continues to crumble. Uh, someone gets an injury. And everything completely unravels, and you know people are wondering whether or not the head coach should still be in place by the end of the Ashes because they, or by the time we start the Ashes because of the fact that it's been such a humbling. So, I, I, I think in that in that sense, it's a really interesting series because, um, you know, you have two very good 
but equally fallible teams. Um, and it, yeah, you know, it. I, I I had no no thought whatsoever that England would win four one in uh, twenty eighteen, but did. And uh, you know, England have a very good home record. And if they, if as I hope they do, they focus on you know winning the series at hand produce pitches that have a little bit of life in them for the seamers, exploit the fact that, um, you know, it, England are very good at home and they have seamers who are very, very good at home as they've proved over the years, uh, then you can very easily see them winning it equally if they if they get their priorities muddled again and decide for whatever reason that a, you know, top billing home test series against India is actually preparation for a series that might even not happen in the Ashes. Uh, then you can see it all going horribly wrong. If I were to make one bold prediction, it would be that Hamid will play a couple of tests at the end of the series. But um, we'll wait and see how that goes as well. Oh, there we go. We like that. Uh, stick that in the unknown unknowns category to, to, <laughs> to get slip into Rumsfeldian. Um, Miller, just uh, just one uh, final thought on, on and, and in keeping with your prediction, really, but. Um, England, uh, well, India won at Trent Bridge in, in 2018. The, the 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 one the one test that they did um, uh, manage to capitalise on England's weaknesses. England haven't won there since Stuart Broad's eight for fifteen in the Ashes in 2015. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a stat to take into the uh, into the opener for the series. Isn't it just? I mean, that, that, that that's extraordinary. I mean, they 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 lost to, to they haven't played that many tests there in, in that period. They lost to South Africa there in 2017 as well. Um, and... It's almost as extraordinary as I, I think I'm right in saying that, that James Anderson hasn't dismissed Virat Kohli since 2014, which is just just maddeningly stupid. It sounds about right. That, yeah, there's uh, <laughs> had the mastery from that tour and then. Um, Coley's hell bent on never getting out to him again. Yeah, exactly that. So I mean, you know, that that rivalry in itself, that Edgebaston test, the, the first test England won in 2018, was 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 the was a series of, in in microcosm basically. Anderson, Anderson v Coley, though essentially a draw. Coley got Coley got the runs on that occasion. Anderson didn't get his wicket, but England got the win. So you know, they they neutralise each other to a degree. And frankly, that should have set it up for the rest of the series. How England suddenly pulled away to four one. Uh, is one of the mysteries of the modern age, and so, as Matt says, I, I I completely completely agree with him. I think I think it, it could literally go either way. It's so unknowable that um that our, all predictions are off, which is pretty much what I said about the hundred. I'm, I'm not predicting anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically I'm 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 literally in sit back and watch mode this summer and and see ball, hit ball, react ball. Maybe maybe that's the way England needs needs a bat. Just, just watch watch the ball, damn it, and, and, and let, let, let results look after themselves. It's an easy game, this punditry, honestly. Predict nothing and you can't ever be proven wrong. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Just been um, browbeaten into a, 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 to a full stop by the schedule. Who's cowering in the corner. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to, 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 to make any uh, bold claims. That, uh, that then, is, is probably a good place to stop, uh, not least because we've got another 100 doubleheader to cover shortly. Um, for the next uh, couple of weeks, it's going to be like eating a four-course meal and then going for a takeaway straight after. Don't worry, uh, we'll be loosening our belts. Until the next time, my thanks to Miller and Matt uh, and to you all for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com. <laughs> <laughs>